Well, after hearing such glorious music, I, I feel almost bad for saying these next two words because they're heavy. But the words are seduction and oppression. Those are the two main tools by which Christians are pressured to compromise our commitment to Christ. So if you look across centuries of history and you see that, that those are the two main varieties or tools used to pressure followers of Jesus to soften their commitment to him. Seduction is when our society promises something better if we turn away from Jesus. And oppression is when society threatens something worse if we don't turn away from Jesus. So carrot and the stick, so to speak. Seduction is the carrot. If you follow this instead of Jesus, it'll go well for you. And oppression is the stick. If you keep following Jesus instead of this, it will not go well from you. The book of Revelation was written to help people like us to stay strong in the face of those kinds of pressures. And the way that Revelation chapter 7 accomplishes that purpose is by giving us a vision of a kind of love and joy that Jesus has secured for us by his death and resurrection that can keep us strong in those moments, whether, whether it's the carrot or the stick, the seduction or the oppression that's pressuring us. There are actually two visions in Revelation chapter 7. We'll talk about both this morning, but Becky's going to read from us in just a moment the second of those two visions. Listen for all the promises of love and joy that Jesus has secured for us. Becky, thank you. Scripture reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation, belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and where have they come? And where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. 
and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, forgive us because some of us missed it. We missed everything you just spoke to us because we were distracted. We were thinking there was some other priority more pressing than hearing these incredible promises. Lord, some of us don't need to be forgiven. We need to be healed. We missed it because we, we are in places so fragile and, and tender and broken that even though we wanted to hear, we couldn't. Some of us missed it because we assumed we deserve it. Of course, Jesus is making all these amazing promises to me because I earned it. Why wouldn't he? We missed it. Lord, for whatever reason, if we missed it, help us hear it. Show yourself to us. Open our ears. Open our hearts. Open our minds open our souls do radical surgery on each one of us those of us who love you those of us who don't you're the great physician and you can fix what is wrong with each of us we invite you to do that we need you to do that we pray in your name lord jesus amen So if you have to get an IV, something's seriously wrong, right? IV, intravenous treatment. It either means you have to have your medication right now. We can't wait for it to be absorbed into your body through ordinary means. We've got to hook you up and put it straight into your bloodstream right now. Something's seriously wrong if you need your medicine that fast. Maybe you're dangerously dehydrated. We've got to get liquids into you right now. We can't wait for you to drink them. We can't wait for them to be absorbed into your body. We've got to put them right into your bloodstream. You're that sick. You maybe can't feed yourself. We've got to put nutrition right into your body. Something is seriously wrong if you need an IV. Revelation chapter 7 is like Jesus giving the church a spiritual IV. We can't wait. <laughs> Something seriously wrong. Why? Well, in Revelation chapter, chapters 4 and 5, we, we kind of get this vision of, of God sitting on the throne of the universe, being in control of everything, and then, and then a scroll is held up, right? a symbol representing all of history and God's purposes for history. And no one can open the scroll. It's sealed seven times, completely shut. But the Lamb, Jesus, the Lamb, can open it. And so he begins to open these. Jesus, the Lamb, is, is sovereign over all of God's purposes for all of history. And he begins to open this scroll. And in chapter 6 of Revelation, he opens six of those seals on the scroll. 
And as he does that, he shows us three different kinds of suffering. There's suffering as a human being. Seals one through four, the four horsemen. Death and scarcity and warfare and strife. Conquest, the swords and plagues and that's just suffering as a human, living in a world that's full of hardship and sorrow. You stand with the human race and you suffer just because you live on this planet. And then in the fifth seal, Jesus breaks that seal, the lamb opens that seal, and, and then we hear these martyrs. They have suffered as Christians. In addition to suffering as human beings, they've suffered a special kind of death because of their faithfulness to Jesus. They're suffering as a human, and then they're suffering as a Christian. You suffer because you stand with the human race, and then sometimes you suffer persecution leading even to death for some people because you stand not just with the human race but with the people of God, the people who have faith in Jesus. And then, and then the sixth seal is broken, and it's a third kind of suffering. It's suffering as a sinner. It's suffering under God's condemnation on the day of the wrath of the Lamb, the text tells us. And it all builds up to this one question. It's the very ending of Revelation chapter 6. Who can stand? I'm standing before... God the creator. I'm not standing along with the whole human race to be evaluated. I'm not standing along with the church. I'm just standing alone on the basis of who I am and what I have done to be evaluated by his standards of justice. And in light of all three of those kinds of suffering, the question is raised, who can stand? I mean, it's hard enough to deal with one of those kinds of suffering, let alone know that at some point, as a follower of Jesus, I'm, I'm going to have to deal with all three of these. Our hearts are dehydrated. Our souls are sick. We need IV treatment right now. And so... The seventh seal gets opened at the beginning of chapter 8. The sixth seal got opened at the end of chapter 6. Chapter 7 is the IV. Chapter 7 is the, we can't open the seventh seal. You can't take what's coming next until we answer this question, who can stand? And how are we going to answer that question? How are we going to deal with all of these kinds of suffering? And the answer comes in the form of two visions. A vision that teaches us to stay strong under pressure because if we have faith in Jesus, we will receive in invincible joy, a joy so strong it can't be conquered or taken away. That's what Becky read to us about. And before that, in verses 1 to 8 of Revelation chapter 7, a vision that teaches us to stay strong under pressure because we're sealed with unbreakable love. Let's start there. 
Verses 1 to 8 tell us we're sealed with unbreakable love. It's, the chapter starts with a new image, an, an image of these four angels holding back four winds of the earth so that the winds can't do any harm to the earth or the sea. Verse 2 says that these angels have been given power to harm earth and sea. And then another angel rises up and says, don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees. Well, this is a new image for something that we already learned about in Revelation chapter 6. There the image was one of, of riders on horses. Here the image is of winds that do harm. And in the Old Testament, in the book of Zechariah, horses and, and destructive winds are, are associated with one another. And so these appear to be two ways of describing the same thing. A new image for that same kind of suffering and harm and destruction we saw in chapter 6. But here we're told, don't, don't let any of that harm begin until verse 3 of the chapter says, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, this is the place where some of you are like, I'm out. You know, like you start talking to me about angels tattooing people on the forehead, and, and, and I'm like just concluding what I've always thought. You Christians are crazy. You'll believe anything. You're just gullible suckers. Slow down. Right, what have we been saying over and over and over? And we'll keep saying it in the spring when we take up this series again. The book of Revelation is filled with detailed descriptions of symbols that represent realities. The reality is not a number or a tattoo or something you're going to get on your forehead. That's a symbol for a reality. How do we know that? Well, we're believers in Jesus. We believe in the God who revealed himself to ancient Israel. We know the Old Testament. We know this symbol already. We've heard this story before. It's in Ezekiel chapter 9. Um, God is getting ready to judge his people and the city of Jerusalem because of their faithlessness and, and continual turning away from him, continually giving in to the pressures of seduction, false gods, oppression, and deciding it's better off to worship someone or something other than God. And, and God is preparing to judge his people. And Ezekiel the prophet is very concerned. And, and he's like, are you going to destroy everybody? <laughs> is the whole remnant of Israel about to be wiped out because of your wrath? And in that context, Ezekiel chapter 9, there's a vision and a symbol. And the Lord tells a man carrying a writing case to go through the city of Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of certain people. Which ones? The ones who sigh and groan over all of the abominations that are committed in the city. So, the, so my people who, who are brokenhearted because, because they, they, they see that 
no other God than me should ever be honored or glorified. They see that turning away from me and, and the paths I lay down for my people is actually not a path of blessing. It's a path of, of harm. And they're struck to the core. So this image from Ezekiel is a familiar one of, um, yeah, judgment is about to come and who can stand? And God has answered the question back in Ezekiel. And he answers it here again in Revelation 7. Everybody who has this mark, a mark, well, the seal image is, kind of assumes that you know that ancient kings wore a ring on their finger that had their royal mark on it. And when a document needed to be known by everyone who read it as coming from the king himself, belonging to the king himself, expressing the wishes of the king. Wax would be melted and that king's seal impressed. Well, now the, the, the symbol is being changed. The king's ring is being placed on your head. He's protecting you. This one is mine. Don't let it be destroyed. This one can stand through all the suffering of living in this world, through all the suffering that comes to people because they are faithful to Jesus, through even that day of wrath. This one can stand because God the King has set his unbreakable love on his people. Well, who gets that seal? Here we meet another symbol. Revelation chapter 7, verse 4 says, I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then we get a list, 12,000 from this tribe and 12,000 from that. And there are 12 tribes, so you do the math and you get 144,000. This is a symbolic number. How do we know? Well, because we see this kind of pattern throughout the book of Revelation. If Jesus wants to tell us the whole church is represented in heaven, he, he gives us a symbol of 12 elders representing the 12 apostles were sent out to spread good news about him throughout the whole earth. If he wants to represent all of God's people together, we get 12 times 12, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles. We'll see that later in the end of the book as you get the description of the heavenly city, Jerusalem, and, and it's got the names of the 12 tribes and the names of the 12 apostles written on its gates. This is a way of saying all of God's people and the number 1,000 was kind of like a million is today in English. If you want to say a really, really unthinkably big number, we don't say a thousand anymore. We say a million. Yeah. Man, what I, if I've told you once, I've told you a million times. What I wouldn't give for a million bucks. A million is just a really big number. We don't mean I literally have told you a million times. 
or we don't mean a million bucks and not one buck more, right? If I had $9,999, I still wouldn't be able to accomplish my dreams, but exactly one million. No, it's, it's this round figure. Well, in the ancient world, 1,000 functioned in that way. And so you take these numbers for immensity and all of Israel and all of the church, and you combine them together and you multiply them and you come up with this great symbol for what verse 9 explains. The book of Revelation often interprets its own symbolism. Jesus will be walking among these seven lampstands, and you're like, ooh, I wonder what that symbol represents. And then you read a few verses later, and it says, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate that help. Well, here, Revelation is helping us. Who are these 144,000? Verse 9, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and peoples and languages. Let me symbolize it numerically. Let me explain it for those of you who don't like numbers. Are there any Sudoku fans in the room? You remember the first time you saw a Sudoku puzzle? I, like me, I was like, I'm not going to be any good at this. I'm terrible at math, terrible at numbers. And you realize this thing's not about numbers at all. It could have used any nine symbols. I'm going to ace this. Right? So if you're that kind of person, verse 9 is for you. Right? Let me, let, me de let me decode the symbol, not using a number. This is God saying that I'm joining my church to the faithful remnant of Israel. All the people who benefit from the ministry of these 12 apostles, which, and, and they represent the gospel of Jesus, which is the fulfillment of all the promises I ever made to Israel. And not all Israelites were faithful, but there was a faithful remnant. Ezekiel knew that in his own day. Some Israelites were about to be judged, and he thought, none of us can stand. And God said, no, mark the faithful remnant with a seal on their foreheads. Literally? Tattoos? No, symbols representing God's unbreakable love set on the people whose trust is in him. And what do we seal them with? Well, Revelation helps us again. If you read to chapter 14, you read again about this 144,000. And we learn who they are. And we learn what they're sealed with. Verse 1 of chapter 14. I looked and behold on Mount Zion stood the Lamb. Now we know we're dealing with symbols already. Jesus is not literally a Lamb. But I saw the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. Those are the ones who can stand in all the suffering of this life. Those are the ones who will stand the suffering that comes to Christians who are faithful to him. Some even going to death and martyrdom. Those are the ones who can stand on the day of judgment, who have nothing to fear. Why? Because they're so wise and strong? No, but because 
His name has been written on us, a name of unbreakable love. My first year teaching in seminary, um, and I've told many people this over the years, you deserve a refund. Um, because I was still working on my PhD. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm getting a PhD in how to interpret the New Testament. I was not getting a PhD in how to teach well, how to communicate. I'm trying to figure all that out on my own. And they give me like the hardest class. It's a four hour course. It's the only four hour course in the whole New Testament curriculum at that time at Covenant Seminary. And, and it covers a lot of stuff that I know very little about at that stage in my life. And I was like, you know, don't give me that class. I'll teach you anything else. Well, yep, that's your class. Oh, man. And I kind of got sideways with a student who was older than I was because at this point I'm, I'm in my late 20s and, and this guy's in his 40s. And, and um, I had a little tension. I'll use that word. That's a good indirect word, tension. And one of my colleagues, uh, Mike Williams, Mike's your man. Mike's a retired Army Ranger, two PhDs, <laughs> rides a Harley, big burly dude, bald head, like, you know, just looks like he could snap most people in half because he probably has. Well, Mike walked into his classroom one day to teach, and he hears this student, overhears this student saying some non-positive things about one of his professors. And Mike walks over, and he leans over that student's desk like this. Mike is describing this to me at a faculty meeting later. He leans over, and he looks at that student, and he says, you're talking about one of my colleagues, and I would appreciate it if you would stop talking like that about one of my colleagues. Now, did Mike say that because he had been in my classroom hearing how awesome a professor I was? No, Mike had never sat in the classroom where I was teaching. He had no clue how bad I was. <laughs> He didn't know the basic first-year mistakes I was making. <laughs> it had nothing to do with my competence. He was writing his name on my forehead. He was shielding me from the criticism and pressure of other people who had a right to criticize me <laughs> and saying, he belongs to me. You don't get to touch him. That's love. That's what Jesus is telling his people. He's already said this before. Daniel chapter 12 warns that at some point in what was for Daniel, the distant, distant future, there will be a time of tribulation such as never has been. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. God's love is going to seal 
he's going to write his name over his people. Jesus used the same kind of language in Matthew chapter 24. He says that at one point in the future, there will be a great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. For the sake of those on whom God's unbreakable love has been set through the work of Jesus, there is nothing to fear. Suffering, whether we suffer as human beings, whether we suffer as Christians, whether we fear suffering that may come to us as sinners standing before God's judgment, suffering weakens our ability to resist seduction and oppression. When they come knocking, our knees tremble, and we wonder, would it, would it not be better to take the easy way out and compromise our commitment to Jesus and Jesus says, look, I'm not going to take you out of this world where the suffering happens, but I'm going to mark you with my love. So that nothing can break it. Not even my own wrath could break my love. Not even my own judgment could break my love. I'm writing my name and the Father's name on you. And no one can break that seal. Nothing. I went back into that classroom with a lot more courage than I had before Mike told me that story. Jesus sends you back into this week and this world with a lot more courage than you could have had without that promise. Well, there's a second vision and it's an anticipation of what is to come. So, Revelation chapters 8 through 19 are going to talk to us a lot about God's judgment that is to come, something that would rightly make us tremble if we weren't sealed with His unbreakable love. But then in chapters 21 and 22, you get a vision of what it means to be at home with him forever. A vision of the life of eternity that Jesus has secured for his people. And here in chapter 7, you get just a bit of a foretaste of it. And can we just start with one detail? Verse 17. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I almost don't need to understand anything else from, from, from the second half of this chapter. If I can just grab hold of that. I don't have to live in a desert culture where hot sun beating down on me is something that, that, that I fear. If I can just get hold of this, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. invincible joy, a joy that will never again be interrupted by the wrong kind of tear. Now, I got to tell you, I think there's going to be weeping 
when we see Jesus face to face, weeping for joy, weeping over beauty, weeping over how far beyond anything we could imagine in terms of goodness he actually is. So, tears, but not the wrong kind of tear. He will wipe away every tear. I don't know what your tears were like this week. Were they silent or were they messy, ugly tears that leave just tracks down your face? My, my messiest cry maybe ever? Well, I don't know. I, sometimes I exaggerate. This has got to be my top five messiest cries ever. Trisha could tell you the truth. But um, I wanted to get engaged to marry Trisha. And so I, uh, I had asked her dad for permission, and he said, go for it. This is awesome. Can't wait. Her parents were divorced. I asked her mom. Her mom says, no, absolutely not. Uh, the reservations were already made for that night at Calhoun Corners, fanciest restaurant in Clemson. Her dress was already laid out on her bed by her roommates who had been conspiring with me. Like, we had all this great plan, and no. And I cried, y'all. I cried, and I cried, and I cried. And then I had to go teach a Bible study to the youth group because I was a um, youth leader at that time. And Trisha's in the room, and I have to walk in at the last minute. I don't get a chance to say anything. And she was like, somebody beat this man with a baseball bat because my, I had these big bruises and my cheeks were all puffed up and, and just that ugly, messy cry, right? Have you had a cry like that this week? <laughs> or maybe it, was, um, maybe it was a cry that well, was tears that would have hurt too much if they had come out, so you just kept kind of stuffing them because it's something that hurts that bad whatever it is that makes you cry, those bad kind of tears, the wrong kind of tears, the tears that express loss and pain and heartache and grief and sorrow. It's not bad to express those things. It's bad to live in a world where we have to feel those things. God will wipe away every tear from the eye of every person who stands before him and says, I can't take it. I can't do it on my own. Will you write your name on me? If I write any other name on me, I will not be able to stand. If I write my own name on me, I will not be able to stand. Will you write the name of one that you love with unbreakable love on me? And he will write the name of the Lamb over you. And he will say to the universe, this one is mine. And whatever you're doing to him, I would appreciate it if you would stop doing it. <laughs> whatever you're saying about him, I would appreciate it if you would stop saying it. He will wipe away every tear. That day doesn't come for a long time. But it will come. It will come. Can we notice one more detail about that image? 
Here we are clothed in white robes, symbolizing the purity we have in Christ, waving palm branches, symbolizing victory we have because of Christ. We've washed our robes white in the blood of the Lamb. And we hear all these promises, we'll hunger no more and thirst no more and the sun won't strike down on us and scorching heat won't bother us because the lamb will be our shepherd and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and how close does God have to get to me to wipe my tears away? He is the God who comes close. He is the God who comes close. How close does he have to come to write his name on your forehead? How close does he have to come? How does he have to lean in to wipe your tears away? The God who comes close offers to mark you with unbreakable love because of Christ. And he promises you Joy that can't be conquered or diminished in any way because of Christ. And he comes near enough to know what tears are like. You let seduction come and offer you something better. I challenge you, find a better love than that. You won't. 